calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Fun fact about moving. It sucks even when you're getting paid for it. There's nothing fun about hauling box after box through narrow doorways, skinning your knuckles on the frames. There's nothing enthralling about bringing a heavy, pillowy mattress down a flight of stairs or carrying an unbalanced armoire up one. Every house has that one corner that's just too tight, or that one ceiling that's just too low. There's no such thing as a quick and easy job when you're a professional mover. I don't know what you do for a living, but I bet if you screw up, you don't destroy anyone's family heirlooms. Me? I never know if a mirror that breaks is just something the owner picked up at a garage sale, or if it belonged to their great-great-grandmother until I get the angry phone call about it. That box that tipped over? It contained all the kids' Christmas ornaments from over the years. Chintzy items with priceless memories and emotions attached. When you've done this as long as I have, you begin to realize how intense attachments to certain objects can be. Lately, I've been wondering if we wouldn't all be better off keeping our memories and emotions in our heads, and leaving the items and objects involved in them out of it. I named the company Chris and Bob's Moving Company with the permission of my partner Robert. He's never actually gone by Bob, but I thought Chris and Bob sounded like the friendly neighborhood guys who will always give you a hand. Chris and Bob sound easygoing, down-to-earth. Chris and Robert sound like they're on the board of a bank. Chris and Robert certainly don't sound like a couple of hard-working, strong guys who will be able to get an upright piano out of your house. Robert and I own two big trucks, but we normally only use one unless the job is big enough to hire extra help or the distance is too great to make multiple round trips. We've honed the ability to mix and fit boxes and furniture together into perfect rectangular Tetris puzzles. It's rare for us to make more than two trips. 
We usually take the bulk of the boxes in the first load, so the second load is mainly furniture. We pack all of the pillows and cushions and mattresses in and around the looser stuff to keep it all safe and upright. This is exactly what we did for the Carmichaels back in April. Robert and I had already taken the first load into town and emptied the truck into the Carmichaels' new Tudor home. They were moving from tiny Maxwell, Iowa into the ever-growing city of Ankeny. Will and Amy Carmichael, already a high-strung couple, had achieved peak neuroticism. It's okay, everybody goes a little nuts on moving day. Just like nurses learn to communicate with the unwell, Robert and I have learned to communicate with the over-anxious. Will was so concerned about his tools and toys in the garage, he told Robert and I to leave them alone. He said he would load his pickup bed with all that stuff and take it himself. I explained that our enclosed truck would be much safer, but Will wouldn't hear it. Amy tried to convince Will to use his pickup to move her antique vanity too, but he drew the line there. He told her big stuff like that was what they had hired us for. She told him, But it hasn't been moved since we brought it here. It has to be preserved exactly the way it is, you know that. This got her nowhere. The vanity didn't seem like anything special to me. I couldn't understand why Mrs. Carmichael was so worried about it. It was painted white, although the thickness of the paint told me it had probably gone through multiple iterations. It had tall, ornamental legs we could fit thick cushions underneath to keep it stable. We used bungee cords to keep the drawers shut and bubble-wrapped the wide, faded mirror on top. Then I secured the last couch cushion to the front of the mirror with another bungee cord. Amy Carmichael checked and double-checked my work while I stood by to answer her questions. I had a few of my own, but kept them in. That's something else experience has taught me. Don't go looking for the stories behind everything people get attached to. Most of the time, they'll end up telling you anyway. But when there's work to do, you don't want to get stuck listening to someone talk about their great aunt's this or their grandfather's that. After Mrs. Carmichael felt comfortable enough with the way I'd situated her vanity, Robert and I loaded in the last few items and hit the road. There's a 10-mile stretch of Highway 210 between Maxwell and I-35, which runs south to Ankeny. That stretch of 210 shows you the heart of Iowa, the soul of the Midwest. It's nothing but farmland and grain bins as far as the eye can see. Occasionally, a white farmhouse next to a red barn will appear, usually guarded by a handful of trees. But for the most part, it's just a lonely, empty drive. It feels particularly solitary in the early spring when the fields are still bare and flat. If there's no traffic, it can feel like the world's come to a screeching halt, like maybe you missed the apocalypse. On that day, driving the Carmichael's second haul to Ankeny on Highway 210, we were the ones who came to a halt, albeit gentle and slow. About three miles in, Robert and I had both heard a booming impact that rattled the metal behind the cab. We gave each other that look, and I pulled over on the gravel shoulder. The look that says, let's go check out the damage. Of course it's going to be that stupid vanity, I thought as I slid down from the cab. I unlatched the door and tossed it up to the sky. It rolled up obediently, and the midday sun spilled into the back of the truck. Everything in that truck, every item we had so carefully packed and placed, every chair, every cushion was still exactly where we had put it. I slipped two fingers under my hat to scratch my head. I called around the side. Robert, you come take a look at this? He showed up a few seconds later, adjusting the waist of his blue jeans. Well, it all looks fine, doesn't it? He asked. Yep, I replied. Something made that sound, though. 
Robert put his hand on his knees and spread them apart as he bent over to peer beneath the truck. He said, Sure hope it wasn't something breaking down on us. I figure we should look everything over before we keep going, I told him. My legs were still gelatinous from loading the truck, so climbing up to close the door took extra time and willpower. But I got it closed. The door slammed down, the latch snapped into place. Robert had walked halfway around the truck already, inspecting. I took one step in the opposite direction, intending to meet him halfway, when another thunderous crash rattled the truck's frame. This one definitely came from inside. What the hell was that? Robert asked, running back. I was fiddling with the latch, hurriedly trying to open the door again. The truck hadn't moved, so what could have caused something to fall? Had an animal snuck inside? This time, when the door rolled up and the sun poured in, a couch cushion fell on me. Everything we had strategically placed around the vanity, the cushions, the bubble-wrapped bungee cords, had all shot off into the four corners of the truck. The vanity itself stood upright, exactly where we had placed it, but totally unsecured. Robert and I said nothing to each other. In a moment like that, there's nothing to say, really. You can ask the obvious questions. How did this happen? What's going on? How is this possible? But you know the other guy won't have any answers. After we had gathered all the loose items, I did ask, should we put it all back together the same way? Robert shrugged and, staring into the vanity's mirror, said, don't know what else to do. So we climbed over all the stuff in the way and wrapped and packed all the cords and cushions back around the damn thing. The paint had gotten sticky in the back of that hot truck. We had been unfortunate enough to receive one of those Iowa spring days that start out in the 40s and reach a humid 80 degrees by noon. I was finishing wrapping up the mirror when I told Robert to go start the truck and cool the cab down for us. He nodded and slipped past me. The bed rumbled beneath my feet as he started the engine. I plucked at the stretched cords to check my work and, satisfied, grabbed hold of the door and brought it down as I climbed out. Before I shut the door completely, the truck shut off. I heard Robert's door open and his shoes crunch gravel. Confused, I stopped closing the back to wait, thinking he had either forgotten something or figured out what had gone wrong. Did you hear a voice? He asked when he came around the corner. Even under the late sun, he looked pale. His sweat somehow looked more oily, like that of a sick man than one who's been out working in the heat. Not until yours just now, I replied. Shut that, he said, pointing at the door I was still holding on to. I obeyed. The latch clanged. I heard a lady's voice coming out of the radio. I wasn't listening to anything, it just came through the speakers on its own, I swear. Nah, you must have bumped the radio button getting in. I've done it a dozen times before. Chris, this lady spoke to me. He looked and sounded dead serious. I might have cracked a joke to break the tension if I hadn't just spent the last five minutes padding up a vanity that had unpacked itself. Well, what'd she say? I asked. Take me back? Just over and over again. Take me back. Here, I did laugh. I shook my head and smacked the bumper. Man, you did. You just heard some song, I bet. She sounded... She sounded like a ghost, Chris. My daughter, she listens to this kid, Billy Irish, or something like that. She sounds like a ghost, too. That's how they're singing these days. Strange, but it's popular. Robert startled me by reaching out with both arms and grabbing my shoulders. Hard. His pale face had darkened. My smile scurried away with my humor. Looking into Robert's eyes, I asked, You're being serious, aren't you? 
absolutely dead serious, he said. I said, let me take a listen. He followed me around to the driver's side and stood beside the door as I hopped into the seat. I reached my hand down and he placed the keys in it. As soon as I started the truck, the radio came on. The DJ was in the middle of saying, You just listened to Therefore I Am by Billie Eilish, and coming up next we've got... I chuckled and shut the radio off. Eilish, not Irish, I said. That's that chick who sounds like a ghost. I told you, man, just a song. Robert looked like he could have punched a hole through the door. The sound I heard wasn't some singer, he growled. She sounded even older than you and I, and she sounded angry. Would you just get in the cab so we can get going? I want a break for lunch when we get to Ankeny. Robert slammed my door shut and walked around the front of the truck. I watched him through the windshield. He was mumbling to himself. He climbed up into his seat, shut his door, and the engine turned off. Oh, come on, now what? I slammed my palm down on the steering wheel. Pain shot up my wrist. Robert reached across and turned the key as I rubbed my hand. The engine sputtered and whined, but would not start. Believe me now? Robert asked. I said, You think Billie Eilish won't let the truck start? There was a sound behind us. While we were speaking, it had just sounded like an approaching vehicle. But in the silence which followed my sarcastic retort, we both recognized the rumbling of the back door being raised. We jumped out and met behind the truck just in time to watch the door slam down. Robert pounded on it with his fist. Whoever's in there, open up, he yelled. We're going to call the cops. No one answered from inside the truck. To me, Robert said, call him. Maybe I didn't latch it, I offered. I think we should take a look before bothering the sheriffs. What if there's some maniac with a knife in there? He asked. I gasped. What if it's Billie Eilish? Robert smacked the hat off my head, then smacked me above the ear. He had never hit me before. He was probably wondering what I'm sure you're wondering too. Why couldn't I take anything seriously? Why couldn't I keep myself from cracking jokes, acting like he was crazy? Truth be told, I was nervous and maybe even a little scared. Humor is my armor. I recovered from the unexpected blow and shook my head at Robert to say, we'll talk about that later. I reached for the door. He tried to grab my arm, but I avoided his grip and flipped the latch up. The door raised partway automatically, and we peered underneath. We didn't see anyone's feet. No one crouched inside, waiting. Robert pushed the door the rest of the way up. Everything was exactly as we had left it. This is too much, he said under his breath. I'm calling somebody. A tow truck? I asked. Robert shrugged. He reached into his pocket and brought out his phone. I watched him try to turn it on for almost a minute before I offered him mine. He tapped the screen, pushed the lock button a few times, and handed it back. They're both dead, he said. Well, that's impossible, I replied. I've barely used mine today and it was fully charged this morning. And our truck was running perfectly until we stopped, Robert pointed out. Touché. He pointed up the highway. I see a house up there, see it? I did. All these rural homes still have landlines, I bet. Maybe somebody will be home and let us use their phone. Yeah, or at least a charger, I said. Robert locked the truck and we started hiking along the shoulder. We mostly walked in silence, both of us replaying events and sequences from the past few minutes, trying to make some kind of sense of it all. 
Neither of us were particularly religious, and we'd never discussed our belief or lack thereof in the supernatural. But the totality of our situation, the sounds, the phones, the truck that wouldn't start, it was unsettling, to put it mildly. Something about those lonely, empty fields only made it seem worse. Had we broken down in the middle of Ankeny, surrounded by dozens of hustling people, hundreds of rushing cars blaring their music and horns, I don't think a ghost ever would have crossed my mind. I probably would have just felt angry. Cities do that to me. But out where the wind has no rains as it skates over the land through the grass, where the blue sky above is an infinite pool, where the smell of the earth is unencumbered by the aromas of human activity, the idea of a disembodied spirit seemed perfectly plausible. The harvested fields are ghosts of yester-season's crop. The cotton clouds above, ghosts of storms either having passed or yet to come. Even that smell of dirt, a wandering spirit which represents all of the life hosted down in the soil. And then there's the occasional whiff of cow manure to bring you back. Robert and I reached the house and were disappointed not to see any vehicles in the driveway. There weren't any lights in the windows either. Robert said we should knock anyway, seeing as we had walked all that way. We stepped up to the rickety patio, which groaned under our combined weight. I did the knocking while he stood behind me, hands in his pockets, looking back at our lonely truck. Not much traffic today, huh? he asked. There was a face in the window. Just as I noticed it, the lace curtain inside fell back in place and the face disappeared. Hello? I called out, then knocked again. Robert turned back toward me and said, I guess no one's home. No, I just saw someone inside, I told him. Looked like a little kid. Now I could hear sharp voices whispering behind the door. One young, one old and female. Please, ma'am, I said. We don't mean to bother you, but our truck just broke down up the road and our phones are dead. Could we... Her voice on the other side of the door cut me short. Go away. Your lady friend warned me about you too. I gave Robert a puzzled glance, and he showed me his palms. Uh, ma'am, it's just the two of us. We don't have any, uh, lady friend with us. She told me what you two might try to do if I let you in. Get lost, the grandmother said. I was going to argue, but Robert touched my arm. I glanced down at his hand, and he jabbed his thumb off to the side. I saw the top half of a round little face peering over the edge of the patio. A small hand waved to us. I said, Ma'am, I promise you we don't mean any harm, but I won't bother you anymore. Have a nice day. Then followed Robert down the steps and around the patio. The kid motioned for us to follow him as he moved directly next to the house, out of sight of any windows. I think my grandma's going crazy, the kid said. Right before you guys got here, she was talking to an invisible lady. Robert asked him, What did she say to the invisible lady? I was glad he caught the real meaning of umbisable because it had missed me entirely. The kid blushed, realizing he had biffed the word. She said she promised not to let you in the house and asked if the invisible lady needed help. And what did the invisible lady say? The kid looked uncomfortable as he said, I don't know, I couldn't hear it. But then he perked up. Oh, but Grandma said something like, Do you know where they're trying to take you? Are you taking somebody somewhere? Robert and I both shook our heads. I said, No, just a bunch of stuff from somebody's old house to their new one. We're movers. Hey kid, was the lady really invisible, or did you just not get a good look at her? 
the kid did not appear to understand the question. I I mean to say, when your grandma was talking to the lady, could she have just been standing somewhere you couldn't see? The kid shook his head. He said, I was playing out here when I heard somebody knock on the door, but there was nobody up there. Then grandma opened the door and started talking, but there really wasn't anybody there. Robert wiped sweat from his brow. I gave the kid a smile and thanked him. You've been a big help. Tell you what, do you know what a business card is? The kid shook his head no. I took one of my cards out of my wallet and showed it to him. Can you read? I asked. He said he could. Good. This is my name, this is our company, and this here is my phone number. The kid eagerly took the card from my fingers. You go ahead and keep that, all right? If your grandma or your parents ever decide to move, you give them that, okay? Can you do that for me? The kid beamed. I remembered when my own kids were that age, the age at which you can give them anything and it immediately becomes treasure. Robert and I said farewell to the kid and started the long way back to the truck. The sun had only gotten hotter and my shirt had stuck to my back. The smell of dirt had started to mix with the sour scent of my own sweat. What are we supposed to make of all that? Robert asked. Well, as much as it chafes me to say it, I guess you were right. About what? About the ghost? I never mentioned a ghost, Robert said sternly. No, but you were thinking it. I know you were. There's no shame, don't worry. I was thinking it too. Robert went quiet for 25 or 30 steps, then said, A ghost in the vanity. That's what I think too, I replied. Sun glared off the truck, forcing me to squint. I think she's mad at us. She? Well, that old lady back there said a woman came and warned her. Hmph. What was she warning about anyway? I said, I'll try to talk to her. Robert asked, to the grandma? No, to the ghost, I said, feeling it should have been obvious. Are you pulling one over on me? I don't like to be patronized, he said. We were now standing behind the truck again, sheltered in its gracious shadow. The door had closed itself, but I was unperturbed. I was more surprised to find I wasn't surprised. This Iowa boy had adapted to a situation more fitting for Hollywood ludicrously quick. And perhaps I was ludicrous because I set one foot on the bumper and undid the latch without a thought. Chris, Robert warned, but I felt prepared for whatever I was getting myself into. The door rolled up, but the sun, situated directly above us and moving in front of the truck, did not enter the dark cave filled with furniture this time. I was halfway over the armchair when the door rolled shut behind me, casting me into perfect darkness. I heard the latch clank, then rattle furiously. Chris! Robert was shouting from the other side. It seemed like he couldn't unlatch the door, and he started pounding on it. Would you quit that? I shouted. It sounds like I'm inside a washing machine when you bang around like that. Chris kept talking, rambling words I couldn't hear, but at least he stopped banging on the door. I continued climbing over the armchair in the dark. Sorry, lady, I said, looking in what I thought might be the direction of the wrapped-up vanity. I think you may misunderstand me and my partner. I hear you warned that grandma up the road about us for some reason. There was no response. Of course not. Here I started to doubt myself, wondering how I had gotten my head so wrapped around the idea of a spirit in the back of the truck. I managed to clamber back to the vanity and started stripping off the cushions and cords by memory. My name is Chris, and out there is Robert, I said, tossing away the last pillow. We're movers, 
That means we take other people's stuff to their new houses when they move. Speaking now to myself, I said, Ah, who do you think is going to talk back to you? You've lost it, man. I pulled the layer of bubble wrap off the mirror. Even though I couldn't see it, I knew I was looking directly into the old reflection. Can you hear me? Can you give me any sort of a sign? I felt a soft burst of air brush the hairs on my neck. A breath. I gasped, winced, and hunched forward, unable to get any further away in the crowded truck. While mumbling curses, I felt around in my pockets for my phone, then remembered it was dead. A light. I needed a light. My fingers found the pokey lump of my keys. I yanked them out of my pocket and fumbled with them until I found the tiny keychain flashlight I'd been given by a customer a few months ago. He was a real estate agent, and his company's logo was printed on the flashlight's handle. He had told me you never know when a flashlight might come in handy. I had never used it until now. I pressed the tiny rubber-coated button on the bottom of the flashlight, and a cone of heavenly gray shot out of the top. I shone the light up at my face at an angle, rather than blind myself by pointing it at the mirror. And it worked. I saw myself in golden outlines, and she was outlined behind me, just over my shoulder. A stern, elderly woman. She had sharp eyebrows which were accentuated by the shadows which filled her eyes. Her colorless hair, drawn taut to her scalp, hung over her shoulder in a thick braid. Her lips were too thin for me to see, and she didn't move them enough to show her teeth when she spoke. Take me back. I felt cold air leaving her as she whispered in my ear. I watched her, waiting to see if she would move. When I thought she wouldn't hurt me, yet, I said, I'm worried you don't understand what's happening. Take me back, she repeated. Where do you want to go? Take me back. Is that all you can say? My tone was soured with impatience, and the woman behind me tasted it. Her sharp eyebrows grew closer together. I saw her teeth for the first time, accentuating an almost smile-like sneer. I said, I'm sorry, I can't take you back. My flashlight dulled, then went out. I'll never know if the cheap Chotsky was to blame or if the angered woman drained it like our phones, but either way, the darkness had returned, and I didn't know where the woman could be anymore. Now frightened nearly to the verge of panic, I shouted, Robert, you still there? I'm still here, are you alright? He replied. Before I could answer, the engine chugged, the truck rocked, and then the engine roared. Robert? I shouted. Chris! He yelled from behind the truck. I felt the transmission shift into first, shaking everything in the back, including me. I was thrown back as the truck lurched forward. We sped up the road for maybe ten seconds before I heard the rumble strips. Their vibrations spread up through the truck into my legs until they were tingly and sore. I heard a crunch, felt the floor tip. Then I was falling. I flew toward the side of the truck, right into the old vanity. My shoulder cracked the old faded mirror. Shards fell onto my back with every bump as the truck slowed and finally came to a stop. The engine kept rumbling. I just lay there on the vanity in the dark, letting the mirror's shards tinkle down. It took Robert a few minutes to catch up to me. When he did, the latch finally opened for him. He helped me get out safely with nothing but a few scratches from the broken mirror. We were able to flag someone down and have them call for help. 
As the tow truck hitched ours up to be pulled out of the ditch, Will and Amy Carmichael showed up. They had been on their way to the new house, expecting to see us unloading the last of their property, no doubt, and instead discovered us standing in a ditch next to the truck full of their belongings. They, of course, wanted to know if anything had been damaged in the accident. I think Robert took pity on me for having been locked into the truck with the old woman's spirit. He quickly took up the duty of informing Amy that her vanity's mirror had been smashed, and one leg cracked, we had learned after inspecting it more thoroughly. She dissolved into tears, intoxicated by sentimental grief, which evolved into anger. When Robert told her we would pay to repair the leg and replace the mirror, she screamed, Replace it? That mirror was irreplaceable. I haven't fixed or changed anything on that vanity since my mother... My... my mother... Her grief prevailed over her anger, and Mrs. Carmichael melted again. Will Carmichael approached me swiftly. He held a lot of tension in his shoulders and took long strides. I took a step closer to the grass, hoping to land on something softish when this vengeful husband knocked me down. He grabbed my sleeve and tilted his head to indicate he wanted to step behind the truck. I bet he won't even ask me how we ended up in the ditch, I thought. I opened my intended apology with, Now I can understand why you're upset, but as soon as he and I were protected by the truck's broadside, his posture changed. His tense shoulders dropped and slumped forward as he clamped a hand down on my shoulder like a good friend about to tell me a hard truth. I'm going to raise my voice in a minute, he said. I might use some aggressive language just to stick the landing. I said, okay. He said, I'm telling you this because I'll only do it for her sake. I'm honestly relieved. That vanity is cursed or something. Ever since she brought it in the house, she's been acting off. Anything to do with her mother? I asked. Yes, how did you know? Thankfully, I didn't get a chance to answer because Mr. Carmichael kept talking. At first, I thought she was just grieving her mother. You know how people can get all messed up when they lose someone like that. She demanded we keep that vanity in our room even though it barely fit. She said it reminded her of her mom. But that should have been a sign something was off because she hated her mom. She was a horrible woman. Amy turned out all right, but she has siblings... Well, let's just say the ones who are still living ain't doing so hot. You know what I mean? I had no idea, but I let him continue. Anyway, we started fighting when she started talking into the mirror and having conversations with her mom as if she were really there. At first, she only did it when she was putting on makeup or checking her hair. She might ask her mom what she thought of the earrings she picked out or something like that. But eventually, I started finding her upstairs at all times of the day talking to the mirror. Feeling uncomfortable, I said, I think the tow truck's going to start moving this soon. We'd better... Oh, I know. I'm sorry. Hang on just a second. I want to talk to someone about this, and I have a feeling you might be one of the only people who will believe me. I waited. We're moving because I thought our old house was... haunted, he said. A boyish glint in his eyes. Stuff started happening, like the TV turning itself off. Same with the washer and dryer, the dishwasher, you name it. I even started waking up to our security system being disabled in the middle of the night. It makes this double beep when it... Well, anyway. Long story short, I convinced Amy to move, but she demanded we take that damn vanity with. I was pretty sure... My turn to interrupt. Her mother's haunting the vanity. She's why we crashed. It sounded too far-fetched to tell him his mother-in-law's ghost drove the truck into the ditch, but I figured I would at least tell him who was to blame. Wow, wow, okay. Well then, 
Thanks for breaking it, I guess. Hopefully that'll be the end of it. He sighed. Okay, here comes the yelling. Will Carmichael chewed my ear until the tow truck driver came over to check on us. The terrifyingly convincing husband backed off with another man present, and the tow truck driver told me he was ready to go. He pulled us out of the ditch, the truck started without any issues, and the Carmichaels followed us the rest of the way without incident. Mrs. Carmichael wanted to keep the vanity, despite the damage, citing sentimental value. Mr. Carmichael shot me a despairing look when she said that. He convinced her to keep it in the garage until it could be repaired. But I don't think Amy's mother will be bothering the Carmichaels anytime soon. A few days ago, my phone rang. The number wasn't in my contacts, but since I use my personal phone for business, I answered anyway. There was a little boy on the other end. He asked if I remembered giving him my business card, and I told him I did. He apologized for calling, and I told him that's what the business card was meant for, so people could get a hold of me. The boy told me the invisible lady wasn't invisible anymore. He told me she follows him around, appearing in every mirror he passes, standing close behind him. He told me his grandma doesn't want to hear about the lady, but that she's been acting extra cranky lately. He said his grandma gets up a lot at night. I asked him if he ever prayed, and he said he did sometimes. I told him to start doing that more often and to call me if things ever got worse. I'm just a mover. I didn't believe in this kind of thing before, and now I just feel clueless, ignorant, helpless. If the kid calls me again, I'll drive out there. Maybe I'll have another conversation with the woman in the mirror. I'll tell her to go to hell. And maybe she finally will. To be continued. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.